0: Good morning. Hey, if uh, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Matthew. And so if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, we're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 18. Just stick up your hand and the gentlemen in the back and the ladies will, if they need, they'll put a Bible in your hands. Okay, cool. So once again, we're in Matthew 8. Whoa. Okay, so here's the deal. Bren wears one of those microphone things that, like, comes off his ear and they gave it to me today. The problem is that I have to wear my glasses to read, and I take them off and on, and um, I keep throwing the thing when I take it off. So I, I, we've kind of jerry-rigged this thing, so we'll try, I'll try to talk and uh, keep it from blowing you guys away. All right, so here we go. I'll look up the entire time I read. Okay, here we go. Matthew 18. This is... Uh, This is God's word, and and this is uh, some great words because Jesus, uh, it's a great teaching of Jesus. In Matthew 18, there are several passages where Jesus teaches through, starting in Matthew 5, and then this is one of the other places where we have a great message and a great, great teaching from Jesus. So Jesus uh, finds himself, um, and as he's there sitting, he says, At that time the disciples came, in verse 1, "and, and said to Jesus, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that the stumbling blocks come. But woe to the man through whom the stumbling blocks come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you um, to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet and to be cast into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See then that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. It's Jesus' response to his disciples. They come to him and um, they say to him, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? At least that's the way the story is that we have. But their parallel stories are also in Luke and in Mark. And in Luke it tells us that Jesus actually asked them, what are you guys arguing about? And they responded, well, kind of, like, well, they finally got out. Well, we're arguing which one of us is greater. Do you, do you, it's kind of funny, isn't it? And that's why I, I actually love the Scriptures when we read them and we really grasp and understand that the disciples um, were like a lot of other people. They're like us. Here they are. They're, they're in the midst of learning from Jesus. Okay? They just, a few months earlier had heard the Sermon on the Mount, which starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that are meek. Blessed are the, those that mourn. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. All these things, right? He, um, he teaches them all this. And then they, behind Jesus' back, in the midst of an argument, det- determining, arguing which one of them is better than the other. And so when Jesus calls them out on this, They come to him and they say, look, we we just want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When your kingdom comes, who's going to be greater? Now, I think that if you read through Matthew, you begin to understand that Jesus has been addressing this question for a really long time. The entire time he's been with the disciples. He's been telling them about the kingdom of heaven. He's been telling them how to get into the kingdom of heaven. He's been telling them how to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And yet they continually argue with each other. And they're out in the back parking lot fighting with one another Trying to determine which one's greater, okay, and all of them probably guessed Peter was greater, right because after all, he was the guy that did the walking on the water and all that kind of stuff he was he was praying, but Jesus is also the guy who Je- or I'm sorry, but Peter's also the guy that Jesus turned to and said, get behind me, Satan, right? So maybe they started thinking, hey, we might have a chance here, right? Um, we might, we can wheeze our way in. And so, well, we didn't say that, Peter, he called you Satan. Yeah, you never know, so you're out, okay? So and then, and then James and John go, whoa, you know, um, maybe we're in. And, they, and this continues on, they, it, they don't get it even here um, because later on in Matthew, they ask again, who's greater? They don't get it. My hope is that this morning, we get it. Okay. As we continue to look through this passage. So Jesus, um, turns to, uh, his disciples and instead of saying, guys, come on, how long have we got to keep teaching this? He basically says, okay, let's start from ground zero. And he starts by, by doing this. He brings a little child to himself, um, which is interesting. And it's, this child's a toddler. Okay. And he says this, he says, um, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he doesn't even answer the question about greatness. He turns right to the point of how in the world that you even get in the kingdom. And he says, unless you are converted, unless you are converted, that concept of conversion is, and that's, that's word Jesus says it, it means to be changed. It means you were once this way. You are now this way. It means that um, that in the scriptures, you're this way. You were once dead, right? But now you're alive. you were once blind, but now you see. That's how the scriptures begin to, te- or to lay out this whole concept of conversion. The conversion concept is, is that, well, we, people say, well, how is it that someone gets into the kingdom of God? And by the way, the kingdom of God has to deal with the realm of God. You become basically becoming a, um, a child of God. You become a, um, a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God. So they're at, and, and let me back up. The implication here that Jesus has to tell us that how to get into the kingdom is a good indication in the inferences that, that we're not in the kingdom to start with. Does that make sense? If he's having to tell us how to get into the kingdom, it means that we're not in the kingdom to start with. So this concept that we are all born and we're all God's children and we're just all, you know, we are the world, we are the people kind of thing, you know, and um, we're just all good and everything's going to be good and and we're all going to experience God's kingdom. That is not what Jesus taught. So don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus taught that we're all God's children and God just loves us all and we're all getting into the kingdom. That is not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, look, I'm going to tell you how to get in the kingdom. And the get in the kingdom, the basics is this. The basics is conversion. It's being moving from who you are now to who you need to be. And we would say, that's how do you do that? You believe in Jesus. Jesus would say, believe on me. Um, and the, the scriptures will say, believe on Jesus and you shall be saved or you shall be in the kingdom. So here's the deal. The concept of, of believing in Jesus is a good one. But believing in Jesus is, is when... That word is used, it's talking about conversion. It's talking about a change. It's not just talking about a head belief, but it's talking about a life change. And so the the idea is, like I said, we were once blind, but now we see. We were dead, but now we're alive. Well, How does that happen? How does that happen? Do we just somehow we hear the message and all of a sudden we go, Oh, I believe that makes sense to me. And then we believe and a conversion experience takes place. That's not what happens. God is intimately involved in the conversion process. We have to hear the word of the gospel, the scriptures tell us. Then it takes the Holy Spirit, God himself, moving in our hearts, causing us to not only hear it, but to understand it. But then not only does he cause us to understand it, but he moves in our hearts, the scripture tells us, and he changes our hearts that are anti-God to hearts that become pro-God so that we can believe what we hear and that we can act upon it. So God works in this whole conversion thing where God brings us to a place where we hear, we understand, and we believe. And then what happens is is that the moment that we believe, and this is all called regeneration in a theological term, conversion, regeneration, that the Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. The Bible tells us that once we believe, in Jesus, trusted and are converted, that the Spirit of God comes and lives in you and me, and that's that whole thing. You've ever remember um, we've heard people say this: well, "You want to ask Jesus into your heart?" Well, Jesus doesn't come into our heart. Okay, what we do is we believe on the work of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection, and then Jesus promises us that at when that happens, when we trust in Him, because of His changing us and causing us to move to a place where we can hear that move and believe in it, that he places his spirit in us and his spirit becomes a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the kingdom of God. When the spirit comes in, he enlightens us that we're able to understand the scriptures properly. And he also gives us, he changes our desires from the desire to want to live unto ourselves to live under God, to live in a disobedience, to live in obedience. And that's what happens. And that's called Regeneration, or in Jesus' words, conversion. Conversion's a big deal. It's something that God does. But Jesus said, you're not even in the kingdom unless you are converted, okay? So that's fundamentally important that to get in the kingdom of God before you can even talk about being great, Jesus says, you need to be converted. And the way that you're converted is trusting in Jesus and his work and believing in his life, death, and resurrection and then the spirit of God living in you and causing you to be one of god's kids one of the citizens of the kingdom so that's what he says first of all he says look you've got to be converted and then he says and you've got to become like a little child like like one of these little children and um i can remember when uh, i was probably in my early 20s there was this lady teaching the bible study and we were on this passage about that the believers are supposed to be like little children and she said isn't that such a wonderful analog- analogy and I went no okay so maybe it's my guy thing and uh, no it's it's my guy thing but and I said maybe it was my guy thing when I was 20 but it's not true it's my guy thing now having had children okay knowing this is true my concept was I think it's a terrible analogy okay because here's why because little kids, and this is a toddler, okay? Every time I notice little kids, like, all right, they're really noisy, all right? They're screaming, they're throwing stuff, they're having a fit. You look at toddlers, and you see them, I see them in shopping centers, I see them in playgrounds, I've seen them at church picnics. You got these little toddlers, they're running around, they got a diaper on that's full of something that none of us want to touch, okay? Um, they, they have a snotty nose, Right? And it's not only snotty, but it's nasty snotty. And not only is it nasty snotty, but it's got dirt all rubbed in it, right? And it's all smeared all over their face. They got something in their mouth that's probably it shouldn't have in their mouth. And they're there and, they're, and there's like, and there's like I said, they're making noise, they're smelly, um, they're nasty. No one really wants to touch them except for their parents. And, and their parents probably don't even want to touch them, right? Because I've been there before now. It's like, no, you, you do it. No, you do it. Okay, that kind of thing, right? And so this whole con- that was my concept of little children and the woman going, isn't that a wonderful analogy? And I go, no, no. I, uh, that's, that's a nasty analogy, okay? I mean, why, why wouldn't we want to be something different? But Jesus says like little children. But he's not talking about all that nasty stuff, okay? Because truthfully, little kids are nasty like that, right? They are. They are. And you need it once you get to become a parent. You just get a garden hose, and you hose them down, and they get through it. But Jesus is holding this little toddler, and he says, unless you become like a child, one of the little ones, then you can't, you can't get into the kingdom of God. So what is he talking about? Well, he goes on to explain it. So he says this. He says um, in verse 3, I'm sorry, um, in verse 4, he says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The concept here is humility. The concept is humility. Now, here's the deal about toddlers. All right. Toddlers are messy, but they're unpretentious in the sense that they don't know. They don't know that they're supposed to be clean. All right. They don't. You ever, toddlers don't care if their hair's messed up. Um, they don't care what kind of clothes they're wearing. In fact, most of them, you put clothes on them, they take them off, okay? I mean, they just, they, but when they come to their parent, and when they come to those who love them, they just come. They don't come going, hey, I smell really good. Hey, I'm really good. Hey, I'm bringing you something. Oh, I take that back. Sometimes they bring you things. Like I can remember um, saying to my son, oh, yeah, he was eating like a cookie, a vanilla wafer or something like that. And I said, oh, I wish I wished I could have one of those. And he went, you know like this and he gave it to me and I like oh thank you so much and you know you take it and you just go mm, like that right so uh, so but but they come to us and they come to us just humble they have no, listen they got nothing to offer they smell they're messed up their clothes don't their clothes are dirty everything's dirty their hair's messed up everything and, it, and that they come to us and They come to us in humility, and that's what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and basically there's no guessing about it. He says, unless you come, listen, unless you come in the humility of one of these little children, and he's holding this little guy or girl, little toddler, Unless you come like this little child in humility, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, right there, that is a slap in the face. Everything that he just said thus far is a slap in the face. And I don't think he meant it to be a slap in the face. But it was more like, do you get it now to the disciples? Because here it is. He said, first of all, you have to be converted. You have to have a changed heart. You have to have a heart that wants to be pleasing to God. Okay, and, um, and, you, and then he also says, but when you come into this relationship with God, you have to realize that you don't bring anything with you when you come. That is so hard. Listen, for those of us... For those who are not followers of Jesus Christ and have not experienced conversion, it is hard for them to understand that what we bring to God, we don't bring anything to him. I've heard people say it like this. You know, I know that I need Jesus. I know I need to repent and ask him to forgive me of my sins because I'm pretty me- I'm I messed up. But, you know, I- I've done some pretty okay things, you know? I went, I did this mission project one time and, um, and I gave this guy money on the side of the street. I helped this guy with a broken down car. And they're like, check, check, check. See, I got something worthwhile that I can bring God. The fact is, is that we have nothing worthwhile that we can bring God. We have to come to Him humbly and basically say, if not for your work and if not for your grace and if not for your mercy to me, I have nothing that I can come... I, there's nothing that I can bring before God. In fact, we... Everything that we have, the scriptures tell us, is like filthy rags. Everything that we bring to God is like a dirty diaper, okay? It really is. And yet, when we come humbly and say, it's not about me, it's just it's about you. Isn't that what toddlers do? They come to you and they go, it's not me, it's you. You're my dad, you're my mom, you're my babysitter, you're my brother, you're my sister. Love me, not because I smell good, but because I'm here. And that's what God does for us. And he says that to the disciples. And the disciples just got through arguing with each other about who was greater. And now he says, the only way you get in is humble. So they're going, hey, who is the greatest? And Jesus said, the greatest is the most is the one who's humble. And then, well, whoa, they just argued. You know, there was like, I'm sure that John and James, uh, John and James and um, those, they probably already said, you know what, we probably got this Peter guy beat out already, you know, and they just come in and go, he's gonna say, we're the greatest, right? We're the greatest, we wanna hear that. So weird, why do we do that? Why we do that is because it's our old nature. Our old nature says to us that if we're gonna be great, We have to be better than everybody else. And we spend a lot of our time trying to be better than other people, trying to look better, smell better, be more performance oriented, have better stuff, have more money. And we judge ourselves according to that. I even said this first service, I said, I I read People, I I don't read it, but I picked it up in a, a doctor's office this week and I was reading People magazine and I went, I cannot believe that people actually spend money for this magazine okay? People, if you do, I'm sorry. But, um, but uh, People Magazine, I'm going, why, why do we care about these people? Why do we care? Because, because they've told us that they're important and that we need to be like them. And in fact, we're going to work really hard. In fact, we're going to buy the right kind of makeup and the right kind of whatever, shave gel or whatever it is they're trying to sell us because they had that person's face on it so that somehow we can be great. And that's not greatness. Greatness, Jesus says, is humility. And greatness comes only in the kingdom through conversion and then humbling ourselves like a little child. And so Jesus says this, if you want to be in the kingdom, first of all, if you want to be great in the kingdom, the first thing you have to do is you have to be in the kingdom. And that only comes through conversion. That only comes through a changed heart and a changed life and the spirit of God living in you and bringing you to a place where you understand and repent of your sins, and then it comes to a place also because God's Spirit lives in you and moves you to a place where you're willing to be humble, humble, um, then you can be great. And so instead of trying to achieve greatness, what we understand from Philippians is that Jesus lowered himself to greatness, and we are to lower ourselves to greatness as well. And in this passage, he says the same thing. And then he begins to explain how it is that if the greatest people in the kingdom of God humble, he goes on to explain how it is that that, what that looks like, what a humble individual looks like. So he says this, you want to be great, be humble. Now, what does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? And this is what he says. He says in verse six, but whoever, oh, I'm sorry, in verse five, and whoever receives one such child in my name, and he's not talking about little kids, he's talking about believers. He said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be tied around his neck and that he be thrown in the depths of the sea. And then down to verse 10, he says this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that there there are angels in heaven. Continually uh, behold the face of my father who is in heaven. Now, what he's telling us is this. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be humble. And if you're going to be humble, then the first thing you have to do is this, is that you have to put other people first. And we go, Oh, we know that. I mean, after all, what is, what is the, uh, the, our tagline here at Rev, right? Um, love God, love others, right? That sounds so simple, but it's not that simple love other people is not that simple. It doesn't come natural for us. Um, a lot of times what we do for other people, we do um, because we want, or we want to look good. We want to smell good. We want to have some kind of credo with them and potentially with God. And, it's, and we mess up. And so, but what God tells us is just put other people first. And, and we've talked about that over and over again here at Rev, how it is that we put other people first. And Jesus says that when you do this for one of these people, you do it unto me. Later on in Matthew chapter 25, um, he says that there will be people that are standing before him and he says, you know, come into my kingdom, come into the kingdom, you who are my people, you who are citizens of the kingdom, because you were great in the kingdom of heaven, because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you, you gave me drink. And when I was naked, you, you put clothes on me. And they went, whoa, 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 wait, Jesus, when did we ever see you hungry? Give you food. When did we ever see you thirsty? Give you drink. And when did we ever give you clothes when you were naked? And Jesus said, When you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you understand how cool this is? Do you understand that when we serve other people, we serve Jesus? Is that not sweet? I mean, seriously, does that not make you want to go out and do tons of stuff for other people? Not because you're getting credit for it, but because you're loving Jesus as you love them. That is amazing. And I think it's something that we need to hold on to and remember because so often um, we choose not to serve because it inconveniences us. And Jesus says, when you serve, when you give, when you put others first, you're doing it to me. And he says specifically when you do it to those who are already in the kingdom, those who are my children, you do it to me. So as we love each other right, we're loving Jesus. And that's pretty cool. And it would be really great if he stopped right there, but this is what he says. He goes, um, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it's better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and for them to be thrown into sea and drowned. Now, he's speaking to the disciples in the same, the same passage here. He's not like, it's not a change. He's not saying, he's saying what you have to do is put other people first and that you have to serve them and love them because when you do so, you do it unto me. But you had better, listen, you had, Jesus said you had better not cause them to sin because if you cause another brother or sister in Christ to sin, it would be better for you to be dead. That's what he's saying. It would be better for you that you are dead and he's telling this to his disciples, who he's telling them how to get into the kingdom. And he's saying, this is how we respond in the kingdom as we seek toward, as we seek greatness, is we put other people first, we serve them, but we certainly do not cause them to sin. And we go, oh, I'm, I'm cool with that. I've never caused anybody to sin. And I would go, you better recheck. Husbands, you better recheck, because I'm sure that you've caused your wife to sin. Wives. You better recheck, because I am sure that some of the things that you've said and the interactions that you've had with one another, you've called your husband to sin. Moms and dads, I am 100% certain that you have caused your children to sin. And those of us who are children, which is all of us, I am 100% certain that we've caused our parents to sin. I know this to be true, because... I know that I've caused my wife and children to sin, but I also know my son has caused me to sin because I can remember standing in a counter one time when he was about 15 years old, leaning on the counter and him talking to me and feeling I'm left handed and feeling my left fist get extremely balled up and thinking, I want to hit this guy so hard in the face. OK, <laughs> and I remember thinking at the same time, how can I love somebody so much and want to beat the crud out of them so bad? All right. Now, that was with my son, and um, and, and we do that with brothers and sisters. Here's another thing, too. You know, so family situations, we need to guard against causing people to sin. Jesus doesn't take it lightly. He says it's better for you to be drowned than this to happen, okay? Here, Here's the thought. Um, hey, guys, um, have you ever caused your girlfriend to sin? Girls, have you ever caused your boyfriend to sin, Jesus says it's better for you that you would drown. Employers, have you ever caused your employees to sin? Those of you guys that work for other people, have you ever caused those that you work for to sin? There's all kinds of ways that we can cause people to sin. Now we can do it unintentionally, yes, but there's so so many times in our lives that we do it intentionally. And Jesus says this, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You humble yourself. And listen, if you humble yourself, If you're really humble and you put other people first, the chances of you causing them to sin go way, way down. The reason we cause other people to sin is because we're about ourselves and we work really hard. We don't have to work really hard. It comes naturally for us not to be humble people. And yet Jesus says, if you're great in the kingdom of God, you will be humble and you will put other people first. And then he goes on and says this, He talks about the world in verse 7, and he says, in the world, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on that is going to draw you as an individual away from being obedient to God. He says, so it's out there. There are stumbling blocks out there. And then in verse 8, he says this, and if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for... for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands and feet and be cast into eternal fire, and he says the same thing about your eye. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it from you. For it's better to enter life blind than it is to enter um, to have two eyes and have to end up in the fiery hell. That's what he tells us. Now, when you first read that, that's kind of freaky language, right? And I, I have talked to people who aren't believers who struggled majorly with this passage, they're like, dude, Jesus, t-. and I heard a guy even say on some documentary that Jesus taught mutilation, okay, and I'm like, no, come on, that's not what he's saying here, what he's saying is this, watch, he's saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you be humble, and you put other people first, and then this is really important, and I, I wish, honestly, I wish we could stop with be humble and put other people first and close in sin. And not close in sin, but close in prayer. That would be bad to close in sin, right? Um, to close, and, that, and therefore, I got, a hold of, I got ahead of myself because what he does is he deals with sin. He says this, be humble, put other people first, and you better deal with sin in your life. You better deal with sin in your life. Sin is a serious thing. He said it's so serious. It's so serious. In an analogy, it would be better off for you to cut off your arm. Your right hand than to let your right hand sin and cause you to end up in hell. And you go whoa 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 wait 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 a second. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am secure in Jesus. Praise God. I the grace of God reaches down to me. I know that sure I mess up. I mess up and yet and yet um you know I know that God's grace is sufficient for me. And we and I yeah I, I sin I know and I but. God loves me and, and he promises me eternal life. And I would say yes to that if, if Jesus' first re- um, requirement for entering the kingdom of heaven is true in your life. And that is that you have experienced conversion. Because what happens? that Not only that we believe, but the Spirit of God comes and lives in our lives and causes us to desire the things that God wants for us and to be obedient to God's word. And I don't know how many times I've heard people use the excuse to continue to sin that God's grace is sufficient. Recently, I was listening to a pastor who was talking about his struggle with sin. And he said, I got to the place where I was just crying out, God, just kill me. Just kill me. Because I can't, this struggle with sin is making me crazy. And and he said, I want you to kill me right now. And he was dead serious. He said, I just, I prayed, God, just kill me. Kill me right now because I can't, I can't take this, this wrestling with sin. And I thought to myself, man, I don't know if I've ever wrestled with sin like that. John Piper says this. He says that um, there are many people, there are many people who say and think that they're followers of Jesus Christ who just kind of are glib about sin in their lives. Um, they will end up internally separated from god and you go whoa whoa, wait no how can that be i mean after all god's grace is sufficient but scripture interprets scripture and so let me read to you romans chapter 8 and i want you to i want you to take note of this because this is an important passage and i want you to go back and check it out okay romans chapter 8 verse 12 it says so then brothers this is paul what does he say brothers he's writing to the church in rome he says so then brothers we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting death to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that goes, wait. Do you understand? That's in there. That's in there. The grace of God reaches us, but the grace of God reaches us through the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit, who changes our lives and causes us to want to live in obedience to God. And yet so many Christians, people that call themselves Christians, just run headlong into sin. Oh, it's okay. I, I know I'm sleeping with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, but after all, God's grace is sufficient. It's okay. I know that I lied and did this kind of, I cheated on my taxes, but God's grace is sufficient. After all, you know, And we use that excuse of God's grace, and Jesus says, that is not it. That is not it. There's no way you can be great in the kingdom of God, unless you're struggling with sin, and I will go so far as to say, according to the, the Romans passage that we look at, if you're not struggling with sin, you're not even in the kingdom of God because the Spirit of God changes us and causes us to want to be like Jesus and to get sin off us, and yet we jump into it and we just act like it's no big deal. No big deal. Now, I grew up in Florida, and um, we've been in Idaho for 10 years, but in Florida, um, there's kind of crazy bugs, okay? And that's one of the things that I don't miss about Florida, roaches and spiders. And um, we have these spiders in Florida. They're called banana spiders. Check it out. Not now, but just kind of like Google them later. But they're, honestly, they can get as big as like a saucer. They're massive, and their bodies are like this, and they're yellow, and they're nasty, and they're so big that you can actually see their fangs when you look at them. And um, and they, they, string it, they string their um, webs across uh, like big, like, areas in the woods. In fact, I have even seen pictures of this where little small birds get caught up in their webs. I mean, they're that massive, okay, these spider webs. And, um, and I, I can remember um, probably not too long ago, maybe 15 years ago, I was walking through the woods at night going from my house to another guy's house um, actually to pick up my daughter. And when I walked through the woods, there was this banana spider web that was, had been strung And I didn't see it. It was dark, okay. And I walked into it and about four steps into the spider web before my mind said, stop walking, you're in a spider web, and it wrapped all around me, okay? Now, it's not, like I said, it's not some little dinky spider web, okay? It's massive, and I could feel it all over my face, and it was all over my body, was down around my legs, and I thought, I'm in a spider web, and the next thing I thought is, and there's a spider in here with me. And I thought, and I freaked out, okay? I freaked out. And I I was like, I was trying to get it off me, and I was screaming almost, you know, I'm put, and I know, and I, because in my head, this banana spider's gonna bite me and I'm gonna die. I saw arachnophobia, I know, (laughs) all right? I know what's gonna happen. Now, banana spiders, if they bite you, you get sick, but you don't die, okay? You don't But I, I was, like, going crazy. I was, like, like stop, drop, and roll, just getting a spiderweb <laughs> off of me. I couldn't get it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to get this off of me. i got to get this off of me. And that's what Jesus says, that we, how we ought to respond to sin. You've got to get it off of you. Why would, you, why would you keep your right hand if it causes you to sin? Get rid of that thing. Get it off of you so that you can enter into life in the kingdom of God. We are to be in the pursuit of holiness. Not just the comfortable stages of being a Christian and after all, God's grace is sufficient we can do whatever we want. That is not the gospel. The gospel is this, that we love God we love others, but we hate sin. Hate sin. It's a freaking spider. And it will bite us, and it will kill us. Because Paul says this that if you continue in sin, you will die. He says that to you and me. Now you're going, "Wait, what? I thought I was secure." Yes, you're secure, but if you do not hate sin, that is an indication that the spirit of God does not live in you and you have not experienced conversion. And if you haven't experienced conversion, you're not not great in the kingdom of heaven. You're not even in the kingdom of heaven. So do not fool yourself that you can continue in sin and think it's fine. You know, we don't like to hear this, do we? Right? I don't like to hear this because I like to go, it's okay. It's okay. I can do this. And Jesus is just all right with me. But Jesus is not just all right with us. His desire for those of us that are in Christ Jesus is to be great in the kingdom of God. And that greatness comes through being humble. It comes through loving others and putting other people first. And it comes through getting rid of sin and becoming people who seek and pursue holiness and seek to remove sin from our lives. Why? Because the Spirit of God tells us that that is sin is just a nasty spider. And I want it off me. And I will do anything, anything, Jesus says, to get rid of that sin. So as you go out of here today, I hope you go out as individuals who understand the truth of the gospel. And that's this, that God loves you, Jesus died for you. He wants you to repent and believe in him and his spirit will convert you and change you and make you one of his people. He will come and live in you and give you a new heart and new desires to put off the old and to put on the new, to, to, to move from death to life, to move from sin to obedience, to love other people as you should. And in so doing, in so doing, God is glorified. And Jesus turns to us and says, "Ah, you're great in the kingdom of God, not because you're great, but because the Spirit, my spirit who lives in you, is great at conforming you to the very image, my image, even your redeemer, who gave up everything in humility so that you could have a relationship with God the Father. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you call us to love you, to love others, and to hate sin. God, we're, we think we're good at loving you, maybe, and pretty good at loving other people. Help us to hate sin. Help me to hate sin. Help me to want to get it off me. Help me to not be complacent. But to pursue holiness. Because every day it's a battle. Every day it's a battle. Because if we're not killing sin, it's killing us. Help us to put it to death by your Holy Spirit so that ultimately we will know that we belong to you and we can stand before you someday. And hear you say, welcome into the kingdom. Welcome into the kingdom. I pray these things for myself and I pray these things for my friends this morning. And as always, I ask them in Jesus' name.